What's up? You're listening to Fork the Product. I'm your host, Nick Casares. And I'm your other host, Zach Cohen. Fork the Product is a podcast that explores the intersection of blockchain, product, and user experience. We interview founders and builders to understand how they're approaching problems in the blockchain space. The show is brought to you in part by Polyant Labs. Nick, can you talk for a second about Polyant? Sure. Polyant is a blockchain-focused, early-stage startup incubator. We're headquartered in Phoenix, Arizona. And I say we're because in my other life, I'm the director of product for Polyant. Long story short, we help founders bring their ideas to life by providing them with early-stage funding, mentoring, and support with things like development, design, and marketing services. If you're an entrepreneur or developer and you have a vision that you'd like to discuss with Polyant, visit our website at polyant.io. That's P-O-L-Y-I-E-N-T dot I-O for more information. Great. Thanks for your support, Polyant. Now on to today's show. In this episode, we speak with Alan Carr, co-founder of KittyCalc and product lead at CryptoKitties, as well as Bryce Bladen, director of communications at Dapper Labs. In addition to his work as a game designer and product manager for CryptoKitties, Alan also contributes to other projects at Dapper Labs. He's a jack-of-all-trades, master of dragons, and previously worked on entertainment experiences everywhere from Blizzard Entertainment to Asterism Books, his own self-publishing imprint for young adult fiction. Bryce is an award-winning writer and content designer with a background in emerging technologies and helping people understand them. While at Axiom Zen, Bryce was a part of the team that brought CryptoKitties to market. CryptoKitties is a game centered around breedable, collectible, and oh-so-adorable creatures called CryptoKitties. Dapper Labs is a company aiming to reshape how we use and interact with digital worlds with projects including CryptoKitties, Cheese Wizards, and NBA Top Shot. We have a lively discussion with Bryce and Alan covering a lot of ground to unpack how Dapper Labs and CryptoKitties have been so successful in kicking off and driving the NFT and crypto collectible ecosystem. Enjoy. Welcome back to Fork the Product. Today, we're speaking with Alan Carr and Bryce Bladen of Dapper Labs. Guys, thanks so much for being here. We're really excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having us. Well, just to get started, uh, Bryce, maybe I'll direct this question at you. Can you give us the high level of Dapper? I'm sure all of our listeners are familiar with CryptoKitties, but I know that there's a lot more to what Dapper is up to these days. Uh, Give us the rundown. Uh, For sure. So Dapper Labs is uh, the serious business of fun and games on the blockchain. Um, which I know sounds like a bit of a flippant answer, but uh, over here we think this is a technology that'll enable the biggest thing to the internet since the iPhone. Um, it can ultimately reshape how we use and interact with digital worlds, but uh, this company was founded with the belief that for this technology to realize its real-world potential, it actually needs to be used by people in the real world um, and, and real people, not just industry insiders and early adopters. So Dapper Labs has a focus on creating uh, games and entertainment experiences based on the technology, both so we can learn more about it, but also so that the people using it can experience its value for themselves. Fantastic. And maybe we'll transition for a second just to, to get a bit of a background on each of you. And Alan, let's start with you. Tell us a bit about your background, uh, your, your role at Dapper Labs and how you came to work at Dapper Labs. Yeah, so um, I've had a, a bit of a varied background. I've worked a little bit in the gaming industry. I, I was at Blizzard Entertainment for five years, uh, but as a game master and then working with their web design team. And then from there, I went into kind of e-commerce. But uh, when CryptoKitties came out, I was sort of an enthusiast about blockchain 
and liked the technology, but wasn't heavily involved in it. And CryptoKitties was super interesting. And the promise of it just really gripped me. And and, and I kind of fell down that rabbit hole very hard and became uh, a deep, heavy user of CryptoKitties. I uh, was heavily involved in the community. And I actually joined up with another community member and we began built building tools for CryptoKitties, which uh, led us to get introduced to the Dapper Labs team themselves. Um, we had some conversations there and uh, ended up getting the opportunity to join Dapper Labs, both of us. And uh, from there, we actually ended up as kind of the product leads for CryptoKitties, which has been something that both of us have been doing for all of this year. That's amazing. And, and Bryce, how about yourself? As for myself, um, I've been uh, self-employed for the majority of my professional career. I largely worked as a freelancer and a consultant with a specialization in emerging technology, mostly in making that emerging technology a little bit more grokkable to your average human. And I've been working with, uh, well, Axiom Zen for the past four years. Um, they were a client of mine originally. I came to join the team full-time about two years ago, a, a little bit longer than that. My very first project uh, under the name of CryptoKitties. And to make a long story short, CryptoKitty's success uh, led to the creation of Dapper Labs, and, and here I am. That's fantastic. So, yeah, guys, you already touched on this a little bit, but could each of you, and feel free to tag team however you see fit, but what was the origin story of Dapper, and you know how has it evolved over time? Um, I'll take the first crack at that, and I'll let uh, Alan fill in the blanks where appropriate. So Dapper Labs ultimately came out of CryptoKitties and its success, and and a lot of the admittedly rudimentary things CryptoKitties uh, did or attempted to do, you'll see a lot more sophisticated examples of that with projects that Dapper Labs is building now. But ultimately, what Dapper Labs came out of was what CryptoKitties set out to do originally, which was to build a bridge to this technology for your average consumer. And uh, I'm sure your audience would know this. But just for context, CryptoKitties uh, launched in late 2017, and it managed to catch mainstream attention. And, and at its peak, it was accounting for about a third of the traffic on the Ethereum network. Um, and at that time, about 25% of our players were using blockchain for the first time. They were introduced to this technology via CryptoKitties. And that was, frankly, what we set out to do in the first place. And it's what we continue to do uh, at Dapper Labs. Our, our focus kind of comes down to three things. Give people an opportunity to experience the value of this technology. And you see that with CryptoKitties. And by the time this podcast comes out with Cheese Wizards, uh, make it safe and easy to access this technology. Now, when CryptoKitties launched, if you were first getting started with blockchain, it was far from an easy process to buy your first CryptoKitty. But relative to other projects out there, I would say one of our strengths was our user design and our consideration for how your average human would understand that stuff. And then finally addressing the problem CryptoKitties highlighted, which is scaling these experiences to not just tens of thousands, but millions, if not billions. How do we make sure that everyone has access to the value of this technology? And to philosophize on that for just a hot second, blockchain technology has been particularly relevant at the overlap of the tech sector and the finance sector. And those are two industries where you'll see quite a bit of overlap there. And we think there's an immense opportunity to, to make sure that other people get a piece of this technology's future before its future is ultimately dictated by how it's shaped since 2017 and now. So our focus is on just making sure that everyone, not just the industry insiders, not just the first movers, ultimately shape the future of this technology and ideally shape it for the better. And one thing that Bryce mentioned that I think can't be understated um, was this idea that 
all of these people were coming to CryptoKitties. Uh, a large number of them had never interacted with crypto before. So it was kind of their onboarding into this world of, of blockchain. But CryptoKitties actually made you want to take all of those hard steps of figuring out how to actually get a hold of cryptocurrency, how to set up an Ethereum wallet in MetaMask, and how to manage your private keys and learn what a private key is. And, and all of these things that were such huge problems, CryptoKitties proved that if you create a product that has a clear value proposition, that that is something that you want to engage with, that there is a large amount of friction that some people are willing to go through, while also revealing that that amount of friction is large enough that you can't quite reach a mass market audience. And so there was both the, the proof that if you build it, and it's really interesting, people will try to come <laughs> and that there are a lot of opportunities to make it so much more accessible and reduce a lot of that friction to get people to be able to experience what it is that they're interested in. Yeah. The one thing I'll layer on to that is uh, this is still a, a very common user experience we have. At, at the very beginning of 2019, uh, Wired finally did a piece on what uh, blockchain technology and decentralization might mean for the future. And they made uh, they made the CryptoKitty. They purchased both their, their first point of entry and ultimately their mascot, uh, which is something you can do with CryptoKitties via the NFT license. So it's still ongoing and it's, it's still developing and, and we're improving it every day, but there are new people coming in every day as well. Oh, that's fascinating. And, you know, I think nearly every project we talk to at some point in the conversation references CryptoKitties as sort of the, the gold reference for what it means to really build a product that has a great user experience, at least as good as it can be at this stage. And so I'm curious, Alan, you talked about creating some incentive for the user and that you'll find these people that are willing to jump through some hoops and go through some friction to have that experience or to get that thing on the other side. How is the user base changing over time with Dapper? And, and how are you approaching that in terms of understanding what those users need and what, what that customer discovery looks like? Yeah, so we, we've been approaching it in a couple of different ways. With CryptoKitties, we've actually been trying some different experiments, creating theories and then creating tests to be able to, to find out how those theories play out in terms of what can we do to make the game more approachable. And then at the Dapper Labs level, we're also kind of recognizing that uh, a lot of these friction and pain points for Ethereum are just kind of going to be there uh, on this network. So how do we build an experience that understands that and understands that there is a kind of core group of people who really understand uh, how to use Ethereum and, and already own this cryptocurrency and really just rather than focus on the onboarding of the new users, um, try to understand what can we actually offer to people once they've gotten over that hurdle? Uh, and that's where Cheese Wizards has come in and been a very, very different kind of product and a very exciting one as well um, that we're, we're really happy is finally going to get to launch here. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I really want to add to that is now <laughs> this is obviously going to sound like a talking point because every product thinks their customer base is, is the single most special thing in the world. Um, and, and frankly, you should, if you're building a product for people, you should think that uh, the people you are making this for, you should put them on that altar. But even the term customer base would be, a, in my opinion, an inappropriate way to think of your users when you're building a decentralized experience. And in fact, Alan sort of personifies why. This was somebody who started as a player, but because this is a blockchain game, uh, a player isn't 
what you would typically consider uh, in, in your in your normal centralized game. They're literal stakeholders in the experience. The actions they take shape this wide open economy. And and likewise, when he upgraded himself to a, a third party creator, you could even track how the tool he built, uh, Kitty Calc, how that affected players. And ultimately, players helped support that tool becoming more ubiquitous within the community. And it created this very cyclical relationship between uh, the players of the game, the people building on top of the game, and the game itself. And ultimately, uh, Alan's journey from being a player to a third-party creator to a Dapper Labs team member, and now leading the development of the product itself with Jordan, his co-conspirator on KittyCalc, it is actually the personification of what we think these games can be. I say games, but not just games, any decentralized experience. Ultimately, once you put something like this out there, it's it's not so much in your hands anymore. And yeah, at Dapper Labs, we're trying to foster CryptoKitties and care for it and improve on it constantly and learn from it and all these really important things. But we're also seeing that when you give people this much respect from their cat game, they'll come to expect it elsewhere, but they will likewise put in what they get out of it. Um, and we've seen countless examples of this. One of the very first one was a little girl named Bella started a charity called Kitties for a Cause after playing CryptoKitties with her dad to learn about blockchain. And, and I think they raised about 15000 for the Seattle Children's Hospital. We have people who tattoo crypto kitties on their body the community is still wildly active and and kitties for good which is just crypto kitties we auction for or or otherwise help promote charitable events have raised over 170,000 now for um, charities across the world and and almost all of these things i listed might sound like crypto kitties accomplishments but they are things the players did or or third party creators on the uh, contributing to the ecosystem we were just sort of the enabling layer. And that is what makes all of this so very exciting. So how we kind of consider users, in my mind, has to be a little bit different than your your usual app or game or or other digital product. Absolutely. That, that's such a great point. Yeah, the, um, the community, I think, is a superpower for us. And it is because of the platform that it's built on. Because it is built on this open technology, uh, it really encourages... Uh, and attracts a lot of people who want to build on that open technology. And one thing that Jordan and I have have really focused on over this past year is finding some of the community-made projects that really greatly enhance the CryptoKitties experience and are just a great boon to the community and finding ways to help support that. Not that it turns out that they need our support, but obviously working together creates a, an even better experience for everybody. And it's it's been really great. And we've seen things like that you would never expect, such as uh, DeFi tools uh, like Uniswap end up being really important to CryptoKitties because one of our community members created this amazing contract that lets you essentially wrap a CryptoKitty, which is an NFT, into a fungible token. And, and it's an ERC-20 that can be traded in bulk and actually bought and sold on a decentralized exchange in Uniswap. And it turns out that that creates all kinds of interesting opportunities and a whole secondary market where people can take a bulk of kitties that maybe they don't love so much anymore and trade them for one that's extra special. And that's kind of been playing out here and, and has been really, really amazing and is entirely possible thanks to blockchain. It really is fascinating to hear how the community is just grabbing onto this and, and, and shaping the direction of things. A lot of the things that you just covered bring up a hundred questions for me, but uh, I'm going to jump first to 
just getting an overview from you guys as to who your market is for Dapper Labs and feel free to, you know, specify potentially different markets uh, based on the project, whether it's CryptoKitties or even NBA Top Shot or whatever it may be. For sure. Um, so that's a that's a bit of an interesting one to answer because we, depending on the product we're talking about uh, and, and who we are trying to target at this time, the answer can vary a bit. Ultimately, we want to put this technology in the hands of consumers and, and mainstream audiences are that focus. That said, something CryptoKitties made very apparent for good or ill is that the state of blockchain technology right now is that it is not ready for those audiences. If our next game launched and 10,000 people uh, wanted to play it at once and it grew from there, we would have another situation like CryptoKitties launch. And, and from a marketing perspective, it's very nice to get all this press because we melted the world supercomputer. But the point of CryptoKitties wasn't to do that. Yes, we thought scalability might be a challenge at some point. Yes, we wanted to uh, help solve that problem. But that latter part is the bigger focus. How do we solve that problem? And it comes from a lot of directions. But let me actually answer your question before I start to uh, get off the rails here. So in the short term, you'll see a lot of our lessons with CryptoKitties reflected in Cheese Wizards. And what's really interesting about our approach there is with CryptoKitties, we designed it in such a way that it would always be an onboarding ramp for anyone who wants to get started in blockchain, new or old, technical user or otherwise. Uh, they can always get started with CryptoKitties. They can always interact with this mascot of the blockchain. They can always get a forever friend uh, who will outlive us all. They'll outlive Dapper Labs. They'll outlive the user themselves and they'll live forever. But on the other side of what's possible, we're designing cheese wizards right now. And as much as CryptoKitties is designed to be approachable, uh, multiple ways to play and find value and, and win, as it were, cheese wizards kind of takes the opposite approach. It is very competitive. It is not a cooperative game necessarily. There are cooperative elements, mind you, but I digress. It's a by design, very limited player pool. It is by design, somewhat more technical, somewhat more challenging in those regards. And that is because when the question of like, who is our customer base, who is our audience, it kind of does go both ways. We do have those people getting started for the first time, but we also have those people who have been in this space since 2012 or, or even as early as 2010 who are just hungry for new and novel ways to experience this technology. And, and Cheese Wizards is very much our attempt to serve that audience and to learn from them, whereas there will only ever be more crypto kitties. And I think we're approaching nearly 2 million at this point. The Cheese Wizards tournament is designed so that over time, there will ultimately only be one wizard that will win that tournament. And I could go on, and I potentially will, depending on this podcast. But in terms of horror audiences, you can start to see our strategy reflected now that we've announced Flow and now that we've announced more of our partners and investors and even advisors for that matter. And what that basically comes down to is sort of like how cats were the mascot for the internet and we tried to make CryptoKitties the mascot for blockchain, you'll start to see our partnership with the NBA and the MBPA and how we're taking the lessons we learned from CryptoKitties and likely the lessons we're going to learn from Cheese Wizards. And we are taking that overlap of people like this thing, they might be willing to put up with the friction of X, Y, or Z, so long as we deliver something new and interesting enough to make it worth their while. So our audience is ultimately going to be people in uh, sports and in gaming and even in music. 
and we are going to be meeting them sort of halfway. We're going to do everything we can to make these experiences something that your mainstream consumer expects as, as fast as possible, as user-friendly as possible, and as fun as possible. But at the same time, one thing we never want to compromise on is what makes those things decentralized, what makes them genuinely interesting, which only makes them possible via blockchain technology. And so while we might be optimizing for these new audiences, we're doing so in a way that is hopefully going to serve existing audiences and, and perhaps most importantly, enable entirely new ones. It is really interesting to see how you guys have approached all the different projects. And it does seem like there's a very clear vision. And it's really nice to see that type of focus as well in this space. How do you guys foster the governance and community around each of these projects? And not just from the perspective of users who may be buying and trading crypto kitties or cheese wizards, but also across the projects. And I bring that up because I think, Alan, before you mentioned, you know, lots of experimentation on uh, Uniswap, for example. And I know there's a lot of other stuff going on with other projects and Dapper and crypto kitties and so on. Yeah, so to speak to that from the CryptoKitties point of view, uh, what's been interesting is there's been sort of the two approaches. One of them is these completely independently created third-party experiences, such as Wrapped Kitties, which interacts very nicely with Uniswap. And then from the same developer, there's a smart contract called Kitty Bounties, which uses the fact that everything is on-chain to actually create a buyer's side marketplace where I can say, I want a Gen 1 kitty that has Meowgerin trait and I need it to be a virgin and never have given birth to any any children and I'm willing to pay so much uh, ETH for it. And, and actually that's all possible on-chain and, and that was created independently. And then the other side of it is kind of our support for it. And there are all of these sort of technological approaches that could be taken, um, DAOs specifically, are what come to mind and everybody is exploring. We've looked into them, but where they currently are, they do add a lot of complexity and risk. And so what we've actually found with CryptoKitties is in order to support these and run a lot of these experiments, it works for us uh, to actually just directly engage with our community and go kind of low technology, old school, and and just talk to people and just ask them, hey, what, what do you want to see more of? What can we support? How can we support it? And basically just talk to our users and listen to them and then uh, work to deliver what it is that they're asking for rather than going through a formal governance process. Uh, that said, it is something that we're super interested in and continue to explore, but it's just, uh, it, it's a lot slower and, and more risky to do things that way. And uh, so for now, we continue to go kind of old school with it. Very cool. I would hardly say uh, anything you guys are doing is old school, but <laughs> but definitely <laughs> hear what you're saying. I did want to jump in one more time on really more of the interaction across all of the different projects from Dapper to NBA Top Shot to Cheese Wizards. What is the team organization and if and how those projects interact with one another and share learnings and, and even maybe collaborate? Yeah, I would love to answer that question because as much as we talk about experimenting with our products, um, something that's very unique about Dapper Labs DNA is that our founding team, myself included, is made up of folks that are 
made up of former founders, of people who have uh, a lot of experience building products and businesses, and a lot of people who have actually been working together for a number of years. Uh, our founding team was uh, former team members from, or I shouldn't say former, I still consider us part of the Axiom Zen family, but we all worked at Axiom Zen together. So that means that when Dapper Labs was founded, we were already hitting the ground running. Now, that said, Dapper Labs has grown at an exponential rate. We are one of Canada's narwhal companies, which means that we are one of the fastest growing startups in this country. And one thing about Axiom Zen that made it very, very special um, and something we do see reflected at Dapper Labs is that Team members here are given a lot of agency, but with that agency comes a lot of responsibility. And ultimately what that means is if Alan tells me he needs X, Y, or Z to do something and he can convince me that it's worth his time to do it, I will do everything I can to support that full stop. But it also means I need to trust him to do these things. Now, that's not very exciting right then and there, but what's been very interesting, challenging, and ultimately very fruitful for us is making sure that we empower that uh, at Dapper Labs and the teams we're making. So ultimately what that adds up to is we have uh, as we try to keep teams as small as possible so that they can move as fast as possible. We try to make it so that there isn't any undue process that somebody has to go through. There isn't all your typical corporate bureaucracy at the same time. It is crucial that we have accountability. It is crucial that everyone brings a certain founder mentality that is a willingness to own any problems they encounter and, and to make sure that there is a solution there. Um, and actually, a really good example of this is, once again, and trust me, I can come up with other examples other than Alan, but just yesterday, Alan was flagging some copy from Cheese Wizards to me to make sure that it's getting addressed. It's not necessarily his job to do that um, as the product lead on CryptoKitties, but he's somebody who cares about making sure all our stuff goes well. So there is just the natural osmosis of everyone on the team using our products and, and interacting with each other on a daily basis. But there are also some basic processes we have in place to enable this. We have show and tells, we have discipline specific regular meetings, um, and things of this effect so that everyone on the team doesn't necessarily need to know what everyone else on the team is doing every minute of every day, but they do know what they're working on. They do know how it will impact the company, the industry, the product itself. And ultimately, that means that we don't just have eight projects doing eight random things. We have a, a number of people, dozens of people, all moving in the same direction, all trying to achieve the common goal. And there are absolutely times where we trip, where something goes off course. But because we have all these protections in place, because there is so much trust on the team, we're able to course correct. And uh, yeah, ultimately, we're all able to get a little bit closer to where we want to go. And we all get there together. And we get there in a relatively cohesive way. That said, it's all areas for improvement as well, I think. And, and that's one of the things that makes working here uh, so interesting to me. We're never going to stop trying to improve this stuff. The one last thing I'll say is... Um, and, and this has always been a, a good sign of a workplace, in my opinion. But if something goes wrong, and, and it inevitably does, we're building completely new use cases on a completely new technology um, and trying things that simply haven't been tried before. But while there is always a desire to understand why something went wrong, there is absolutely no desire to finger point, to hold somebody as sacrifice if something goes wrong. And as a result, we tend to know when things go wrong before they go wrong. And we tend to already have them fixed before it even becomes a problem. And that just creates this environment where we communicate very openly. And that's everything is just making sure that communication is open and expectations are aligned. Yeah, and that really is everything in this space in particular. Um, I can imagine that in a different environment, um, 
So I've made mistakes that involve the blockchain. And as we all know, there's no undo on the blockchain. <laughs> if you do something um, and, and it gets committed to chain, it happened. <laughs> and so uh, in a different environment, I could imagine that going very differently. But we all do understand there's there's a great, great sense of communication and trust and uh, belief in one another within the company such that it's it's very easy to sort of point out and own a mistake and say, uh, all right, let's come together and how do we solve this instead of, again, I could imagine at, at another company maybe being afraid to even admit that it happened or something. Uh, and that's not something that we ever have to deal with, um, which in the context of blockchain, I think does does help us operate even better. Alan, if I can dig in on that for a minute with your team operating system and to touch on something that Bryce brought up a moment ago, which is that it sounds like uh, communication and, and openness is fundamental to being an effective team. Um, but at the product team level, uh, particularly since you're operating with pretty lean teams that have focused goals, can you tell us a little bit more about some of the core skill sets or competencies that you think are critical for shipping in the blockchain space and not necessarily connected directly to a particular role, but just in aggregate? What does the team need to be able to succeed tactically on a day-to-day level? Yeah, I think one of our company's core values that is so key is Kaizen. It's this constant improvement, especially when you're working on the cutting edge on this new frontier of blockchain there is nobody who knows all the answers. That's just not a thing that exists. And so we're all constantly learning and we're all constantly in need of learning. And so one of the things that's really powerful when we have all of these different initiatives that are working within the same sort of blockchain space, but working towards different very specific goals is getting together, sharing those learnings with one another and and being hungry for those learnings. And so uh, each of us is, like I, I mentioned, running experiments in CryptoKitties, and then we will go to the company-wide show and tell and share the results, uh, share what our hypothesis was and, and how it actually played out and uh, why we believe that was the case and what we can learn from that. And so in that way, running an experiment in CryptoKitties can help benefit cheese wizards very directly. Um, on top of which, we, we just have very open lines of communication, uh, and we'll work with each other. And I get asked questions all the time from all the different product teams. Um, as still, to this day, a very heavy user of CryptoKitties, I own hundreds of cats, and um, I still love breeding cats, and I still am an active part of the community. And so people will ask, well, well how will people feel about this kind of decision? And because I'm actively involved in the community, I'm able to provide a particular perspective and and share that with different product teams. And so having that constant growth and um, that learning and then those open lines of communication are are so key. And then just having the, the roles and responsibilities and knowing that you can trust everybody in those roles to either accomplish what needs to be accomplished or flag if they run into any difficulties or if they need any help and then actually seek that help and be able to get it because we do have just amazing people working in this company. The thing that really drew me to Dapper Labs is when I interviewed with them, everybody I met was not only super bright and working on this thing that was really interesting to me, with which was blockchain and specifically CryptoKitties, but they were also just really great people, very friendly. Um, there's this culture within the company of 
just friendliness. And so uh, that helps foster these open lines of communication. You're never afraid to ask a question. You're looking forward to the opportunity to uh, email Bryce and say, hey, what about this copy and Cheese Wizards? Have we taken a look at that? Because um, I know I'm going to have a good interaction with Bryce when I do. <laughs> It sounds like an amazing and a very collaborative environment. You were talking a moment ago, Alan, about the uh, willingness to share across the company, particularly around any kind of product experimentation that, that you're doing. And I think, you know, blockchain or non-blockchain, I think the idea of uh, experiment-driven product development is coming into more and more people's uh, way of thinking and the way of working. And I've seen it done different ways, um, some effective, some not so effective. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how your product teams are actually integrating experimentation and communicating the results of those experiments to the organization? Yeah, so we actually don't have some of the kind of traditional A-B testing frameworks that um, I think most people think of by default when you, when you talk about experimentation. Those are sort of the easier things to test. But one of the things that we kind of have approached is um, our own evolution of, I think it originated with Facebook, the, the bold beat, um, this idea that you, you kind of test out making a big change to the product. Um, we, we do things a little bit differently than, than how that's traditionally met, but we will create essentially a new feature and release it and understand uh, that it's not meant to be a permanent addition to the product, but something that we can learn from and, and find out how we could have done it better and whether it has the sort of impact that we want and then take those learnings and, and, and share those and, and build on them and then uh, develop a, a more advanced feature. And we're able to, to really try a lot of different things and, and share them with the company. And when you play back those results, are they, I, I guess, one of the challenges in blockchain, because it is decentralized and it's, in a lot of cases, anonymous or pseudonymous, how are you actually capturing learnings? Are you doing a lot of quantitative measurement or is it more qualitative? I guess, what does the playback look like in an example case? Uh, so one example case is we uh, created this adoption center where uh, we allowed all of our new users who showed up on the uh, CryptoKitties website for the first time uh, over a period of time to actually choose two cats from um, again, from that wrapped kitties list. So we're actually using a community-built product uh, as part of our experimentation, which is pretty awesome, um, where we show them this list of thousands of cats that have been converted into these ERC-20 tokens to get really technical. <laughs> um, but from the user's point of view, they just get a list of these thousands of cats, and we say, pick two, and we'll, we'll send them to you. And you can start off with a couple of cats. And so that was one of the experiments we ran. We wanted to understand whether we could actually get more people to take that big step of actually setting up a wallet and linking it to their CryptoKitties account if they knew that they were going to start off with something right off the bat. Because the traditional new experience on CryptoKitties for someone who doesn't already own crypto is you see it and you, you fall in love with the cats because they're so adorable and the, the website has so much personality and you want to try it out. But in order to try it out, you have to get a wallet and then you have to get cryptocurrency. And there's just this step after step. And so what if we actually gave you even more incentive rather in this particular experiment where we're like, you don't even have to buy your first cats. We're going to give them to you. All you need to do is create this free wallet. Um, and we should really talk a little bit more about the Dapper wallet and the Dapper interface team, which is a glue that brings all of our different products together uh, to kind of tie in with the previous thread here. But in, in this experiment... Uh, it's very easy to set up a Dapper wallet, but 
how can we actually encourage more people to do it? And, and if we say that you can choose two cats of your, of your liking and we'll send them to you and all you have to do is create a wallet and link it to your account in order to get that. Uh, that was an example of an experiment. And uh, for that, it was, it was all quantitative. It was all just looking at the numbers, um, just s- simple conversion rates. Uh, we know how many people show up at the website. We know how many people actually create a wallet and then how many go on to actually interact with their kitties and breed and buy and sell and trade. And so we were, we were just in that particular case looking specifically at the numbers directly. But we have run other experiments where we showed an example of a feature uh, that we call the activity feed, which kind of uh, shows everybody that comes to the website. There's all this activity going on, but you wouldn't necessarily be aware of it just by looking unless you knew exactly where to look, which as a new user, you wouldn't. So what if we exposed that more and we, we uh, created this thing called the activity feed, which which shows every time somebody's breeding a cat and, and especially, well, not every cat, <laughs> that'd be too much, but every time a special cat is born or somebody breeds a cat for the first time, or, and we, we just identified all of these different interactions that are fun to highlight and basically show everybody who's on the website that there is this active community playing CryptoKitties alongside you. Uh, and that it isn't a single player experience because the only other way that you would really know that is if you're following us on Twitter or uh, in our Discord, which is a very active community. But just looking at the website, you wouldn't get that. So what we did was we, we building that actually as a feature would have been kind of a large investment. So we built sort of a mock-up of it and we showed it to people. And then anyone who interacted with it, uh, we basically then asked, gave them a little mini survey and asked them, how, how do you feel about this? And we, we, gauged whether it was accomplishing our goals based on their responses and uh, identified that, yeah, no, this would really be an impactful thing for us to build. And it is a feature that we're, we're hoping to be able to launch soon um, and have been building it out fully. And so that was a more qualitative approach to gathering data, along with, with some quantitative, uh, you know, how many people actually clicked on it to begin with. Uh, but it, it, it goes both ways. Those are really great examples. Yeah. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask how you guys think about and sort of plan and execute your go-to-market strategies. And and I ask that because I think you all are uniquely good at taking things to market, probably better than any other project in the space. Bryce is our superpower there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, and, and yeah, you know what? I think that kind of comes out of the Axiom Zen experience and, and my experience uh, as a consultant working with teams that are making uh, products for the first time, products that especially don't have market fit yet. And the answer I'm about to give is actually going to be reflective of a lot of what Alan said with our approach to experimentation. That is just taking a simple thesis um, and putting uh, some definition of success on that and then measuring that success in, in tractable terms. But how it starts is all relatively simple. And it's the same thing I've done with every project and product and business I've worked on. And it simply starts by finding your first most dedicated players or users or audience or customer. Um, And by this, I mean, you find the person who would care the most about your product and you foster that relationship for as long as possible. CryptoKitties did just this before we even launched the thing, before anyone even knew it existed in any way, shape or form. We took the team to ETH Waterloo in 2017 as hackers working on a project unrelated to CryptoKitties called uh, Rufflet, which ended up winning, by the way. But at ETH Waterloo, we also tested the alpha of CryptoKitties with people who were a wide 
wide gamut of audience. It was exactly what CryptoKitties audience is. We had these people who were curious about blockchain, but had never so much as touched a Bitcoin or a, or a piece of Ether. Um, and likewise, we had these industry insiders who had been building on this technology for a number of years. And this was our initial audience base. And, and all they were doing was playing this very rudimentary game at the time and giving us a lot of insights into the stuff they did care about, the qualitative stuff that's so difficult to define, but also some of the quantitative stuff. And, and it informed a lot of product decisions from there. And this audience has never stopped being our focus. We always start with that initial group of people. It, it was our exact go-to-market strategy you, you would have seen with Dapper. The first people to get access to that were some of our most dedicated CryptoKitties players because they're people that we have established relationships with that we understand to a certain level. But also, they're who we are building this product for. So as we build the product, having constant feedback from them about what is and isn't working really makes the product better. And likewise, how we talk about it with them informs our marketing and things of that effect. Before we went to ETH Waterloo, one of my uh, colleagues, Benny, sent a bunch of emails to a bunch of press people um, to the effect of, we're putting cats on the blockchain. And uh, I saw a few tweets from The Verge or whatever, kind of mocking it because this was right before the ICO craze went full froth. <laughs> and we didn't get a lot of press out of that necessarily, but that meant that the next time... Uh, uh, they heard about us and, and we'd suddenly gone supernova. We suddenly had a lot of press coming in and a lot of folks complimenting our PR strategy there. But fundamentally, what it comes down to is a good go-to-market simply starts from finding your audience and it doesn't need to be big either. I really need to be clear on that. If you only have 10 people who are willing to give you constant feedback that is valuable, that are using your product, those 10 people should be your focus until you are really confident you can serve the next 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 without getting much critical feedback. And frankly, just fostering it from there, make sure their needs are served, iterate on the product, improve on what you know from the data. Uh, don't be afraid to keep asking questions and, and don't be afraid to put things on the shelf either. Uh, Alan mentioned that activity feed experiment. It's worth mentioning that we had actually started to experiment with that about 18 months prior to testing it in the first place. For one reason or another, we had to step away from it, but we had never actually learned whether or not it worked. So there was no reason not to go back and, and find out for ourselves. But that is fundamentally what it comes down to, because the people using your product, they might not be able to succinctly explain why it matters to them in, in perfect terms, but they will show you why it matters to them if you let them play with it long enough, especially if you let them play with it in the long term and they see that thing develop. And once you know those things, you know how to market it. You know what you need to say for people to understand why it's valuable or why it's interesting or why they should otherwise start using it. And that's all you need to start messaging around is where that audience lives, where does the next 100 customers live and what do they care about guys this feels like it's been a masterclass in in building awesome products on the blockchain we can't thank you enough for for coming on the show i know we are running really short on time here so before we close out and i do want to thank you again for giving up uh, an hour of each of your your days um i feel very privileged that we were able to bring you on the show we have two questions that we like to close out with kind of lightning round and i think i'm going to direct the first one uh alan at you and the second one bryce at you uh, so alan with regard to CryptoKitties, uh, what's keeping you up at night? <laughs> A long pregnant pause. <laughs> Sounds like there may be more than one. <laughs> the interesting thing about CryptoKitties is that it is on the blockchain, and so much of the design of the of the game was set from the very beginning. And there are all of these things we'd love to build on top of it. And the thing that keeps me up at night is is just working through creative solutions in order to 
build on top of CryptoKitties the existing smart contract uh, in a way that is compatible and, and works, uh, frankly. It's an interesting problem that we continue to uh, find new ways to address, but is is an ongoing kind of a problem that, unlike a normal game where if you want to add a feature, you just add a feature. But if it wasn't built in from the beginning on a smart contract and you didn't have a hook to allow it to be built in, how do you add it and in a meaningful way that is still on the blockchain, that is still open? And so that 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 is the thing that that most keeps me up at night uh, when it comes to crypto kitties. And definitely not a small problem. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a love-hate relationship with that whole immutability thing. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> so Bryce, uh, final question for you is, if you fast forward five years from now, how is the world different or how has the world changed with Dapper in it? Oh, man, the irony of this question is when you were like, what keeps you up at night? My answer was explaining what the future will look like <laughs> to people who have never touched this technology. Um, so that's that is a really good question. What does the future look like as a result of what Dapper Labs uh, has done or has accomplished? And obviously, I'm going to give you the idealized version here. Um but in my opinion, if we do everything we set out to do, and if we do it right, then, well, first of all, blockchain is going to be a part of our future, but it's going to be part of our future in a way where it won't necessarily feel like blockchain. And by that, I mean, the value will be there. New paradigms will be set. People's expectations from everything from like the idea of actually owning your data of actually having agency of being able to move from app to app with a single identity solution. Um, these are all jargon to, to most people, uh, probably not your listeners, but to your, again, average human being. And putting that in tractable terms and making it matter is, is difficult. But something we've learned is that if you let people experience this value for themselves, we don't need to espouse the virtues of blockchain. We don't need to create a laundry list of jargon like self-sovereignty and true ownership. If you let people actually experience this value, they'll come to know it in their hearts and they'll understand it that way. And they might not be able to put it in these tangible terms, but they'll also come to expect it. And so like right now, just as an obvious parallel, and it's a little rudimentary, and I think the potential is, is far farther reaching than this but uh, a really good example is how like you take your average mainstream video game and and if it's free to play that thing is getting its revenue from selling you virtual items that you're technically leasing from the developer and you know the moment you stop playing that game the developer closes your account the servers go down or they simply change the terms of your lease all those experiences all that identity all that self-expression goes away and and you learn you never owned it and hopefully in five years that paradigm is going to be in the opposite direction and the idea that you would play something and give it all your time and concern and experience and let it own it instead of you that'll be kind of laughable we'll be like why why would you ever let a you know a game do that? That that's sort of the the future I hope for is one where more people experience the value of this technology, more people ultimately benefit from it. And and if we're you know since it's five years and I get to answer this question, how we create and monetize things will will change and and we'll see all sorts of exciting things. And and I'm I'm really tempted to go down this rabbit hole with you, but I'm not sure we have time. Um, <laughs> I think there are still a lot of very untapped or underexplored areas for what blockchain can enable. And you'll see with, uh, if you go to withflow.org, which is the blockchain we're helping to make right now, um, you'll start to see a vision for for what we want that that next five years to look like. And not just the next five years, but 15 years, 50 years. We're 
we don't think in terms of, you know, I mean, we do think in terms of the next quarter, we we are responsible, but we we really think in the long term and, and not just in terms of like, how can we make this matter, but how can we make this matter for for the better of everyone using it? I love it. And I want to I want to be a part of that future. Guys, this has been an excellent conversation. Again, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Where can our listeners go to find out more about Dapper Labs? Well, uh, dapperlabs.com is probably the best place to start. CryptoKitties.co, uh, CheeseWizards.com, uh, WithFlow.org, MeetDapper.com. We're, we're working on a lot of stuff, but these are all great places uh, to uh, either learn more about us or at least uh, experience for yourself what we're working on. Awesome. And are there any particular uh, plugs you want to share with our audience? Hiring, anything like that? Oh, Lord, we are hiring. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> if if we haven't sold you on our culture and how we like to work together, um, well, it, it probably isn't the job for you. But if we have, if you're interested in building in blockchain, whether you are an artist, a designer, an engineer, a developer, some weird hybrid like myself, please check out the Dapper Labs website, the Flow website, the CryptoKitties website. Um, we're doing a lot of hiring pretty much constantly. And, and we're always looking for good people. Likewise, I, I really try to make this the point you know, if you are curious and you're not sure what this technology means or what you can actually do with it, try some of our try some of our projects. Try experiencing them for yourselves. And and if you see anything you change or improve or you want to make different, um, I'd love to hear from you. And uh, I'd love to talk about how we can actually make that happen. Sounds great, guys. Thanks again. Thanks so much, guys. It was a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Fork the Product. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, or share this podcast with all your crypto friends. See you next time.